You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, the local's weekly news podcast. We're recording this episode on Wednesday the 21st of December and today we're going to talk about a decision not to extradite a Turkish journalist and what impact it's likely to have. We'll discuss three government press conferences in quick succession and what they mean for Sweden's approach to integration, immigration and crime. We'll look at the upsetting story of a group chimpanzee escape. And finally, in this last episode before Christmas, we'll wrap up with an end of year quiz. I'm Paul O'Mahony and I'm joined today by our regular panellists James Savage, Becky Waterton and Richard Orange. And I should say that we're not recording from our studios today because of all the colds and other ailments doing the rounds at the moment. How are you all keeping on the shortest day of the year? Good, thank you. Yeah, I'm a little I'm a little bit snotty. I've got a session book with my personal trainer to get me ready for Christmas and I'm feeling a little bit like I shouldn't go. I, I've survived a, a near brush with COVID because I spent all of last Sunday with somebody who tested positive, but I haven't got it yet. Fingers crossed. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Other than that, are you ready for Christmas? I'm at that level where there's about three million small last minute jobs to do before Christmas, despite planning for like a month. So this is great. I'm not stressed. I went to a concert from Stockholm's Gotskör, the Stockholm Boys Choir, yesterday, and it was wonderful. One of those super, super disciplined boys choirs where they, you know, where they where they really train on how to sing and they're super, super talented. And it was wonderful and got me right in the Christmas mood. I, I haven't yet made mince pies, the sort of English uh, fruit pie concoction but i'm intending to but i've only got about two days to go so i better get moving going buy all the ingredients and um, put it together okay let's push on with the show so earlier in the year we talked about how malmo was combating littering by installing bins that expressed arousal when fed rubbish and uh, we'll link in the notes to a couple of stories on this where you can hear the bins in action. But suddenly everyone's talking about Malmö's sexy bins again after the talk show host John Oliver pushed out a video to his 9 million YouTube subscribers. Becky, were you happy with how he portrayed your home city? Well, he described us as the Ohio of Sweden and I'm not really sure what he meant by that. <laughs> um, I actually looked up the population of Ohio And uh, it's, it's actually bigger than the population of Sweden. So Ohio's got 11.7 million people and Sweden's got 10.4. But anyway, he also said that nobody knows anything about Malmo. And the only interesting thing about the city is that Nina Persson from the hit 90s band The Cardigans lives here. 
And I mean, I don't necessarily disagree with what he said about no one knowing anything about Malmo. I didn't really know much about Malmo before I moved here. But we do have lots of other interesting stuff here. Nina Pershon is interesting, but we have lots of other things that are interesting, including our sexy bins, despite the fact that they are no longer sexy, as John Oliver found out. It would take me far too long to explain the sketch and it will probably be quite boring for you to listen to. But I think if I just say, read our article, go and watch the sketch for yourself. It's only about 10 minutes long. Um, I don't want to spoil anything, but it is very funny. And yeah, we've, we've got that article in our show notes that you can listen to. And I think we should just mention that it also features a little snippet of Richard Orange's own video <laughs> artistry. <laughs> And Richard Orange's own cackle. Me cackling <laughs> maniacally in the background. But yeah. what's, what's frustrating is they actually got in touch with me two weeks ago and I said, yes, yes, you can absolutely have the rights to use my video. And um, they sent a sort of incredibly complicated, long legal document that I would have had to print out and sign. And I'm afraid I've completely... I just, I just didn't get around to doing it. So we don't feature. It's not even that. You don't have a printer. I, well, who does? I mean, they, they live in another era. <laughs> oh, yeah. Richard. They don't have bank ID I'm sorry, in the I'm US. ashamed. It is. I am ashamed to have yeah. missed that trick. But, so, but on the other hand, my video has been seen by 9 million YouTube followers of John Oliver. Yes, you just got no credit for it because they took it from an agency instead. <laughs> Which is almost the True. entire population of Sweden and less than the population of Ohio. So there you go. Anyway, anyway, it's now everybody knows it was Richard Orange's video. But it has put Malmo on the map. I've got a friend who sits next to the person who's responsible for all this project at Malmo Project. So she's been feeding me. I mean, I think they're just amazed at, at how much um, publicity they've got for what was just a kind of silly kind of joke. It was very, very funny, though. And as Becky said, we have uh, we have it in our article. So go and have a look if you haven't seen it yet. On to more serious news uh, now. Sweden has said it won't extradite the former editor-in-chief of the Turkish newspaper Daily Zaman. Bülent Kenes was the only person explicitly named by Turkey's President Erdogan as somebody he wanted to see extradited before he would consider ratifying Sweden's NATO application. Why did the Supreme Court rule against his extradition and how has Turkey reacted? Well, first of all, a bit of background. So Bülent Kenes is accused by Turkey of being involved in the attempted coup in 2016. And they say that he's a member of the Gulen movement, um, which is outlawed in Turkey. But the Supreme Court of Sweden said that he can't be extradited for being a member of the Gulen movement because that's not a crime in Sweden. It's not illegal to be a member of that. And as for the coup attempt, that is a political crime. And as such, the Supreme Court said he should not be extradited. And furthermore, because he was granted asylum due to the risk of persecution for his political beliefs, that's another reason that he can't be extradited from Sweden. So this is Turkey's request to Sweden and Turkey's political demands on Sweden to allow it into NATO coming up against Swedish law, things that the government effectively doesn't have any control over. It is the government's decision formally as whether to extradite them or not, but the government has to follow the law. And now the Supreme Court of Sweden has said what the law is. And the law says very clearly that this, that this man cannot be extradited to Turkey. Um, so what Turkey's reaction has been, has been, well, it's been interesting. Foreign Minister Mevlut Kavasoglu said the decision was a very negative development. However, Turkey's foreign ministry said in a statement to Reuters that it couldn't speculate on what it would mean for Sweden's NATO application. And also it said that the agreement between Sweden and Turkey stated that Sweden was obliged to act according to its own laws and to international law. So if you take that final statement seriously, then 
there is at least an acknowledgement from Turkey that this was always going to be the outcome. But we'll have to see what, what happens from, from here on in with, with Turkey. I think most people still expect Turkey to eventually relent and let Sweden join NATO, but it's written in the stars at the moment. Great, thanks for that. And there's been a flurry of government press conferences in recent days about integration, immigration and crime. Richard, can you give us a quick update on the most important things to know about what the government is prioritising? Well, they, they definitely want to give the impression that they're doing something. I mean, there's been, uh, what was it? It was two two press conferences on Thursday and then another big one on Tuesday. And I think, in a way, what's most interesting about them is the way that they've been fronted by senior figures from the far-right Sweden Democrats, which is something that was agreed in the deal they did to back the government back in um, October. But this is the first time we're seeing how it's going to look. So first on Thursday, the Sweden Democrats group parliamentary leader, Henrik Winger, he fronted a press conference alongside the migration minister, Maria Malmö-Stenegard. And then on Tuesday, Jimmy Orkerson, who's the party's leader, held a big press conference alongside the prime minister, Ulf Christensen. And, and you, you, it really shows the power that the Sweden Democrats have in this new government constellation. But in terms of what the, what the press conferences were about, they were about, as you say, migration and crime. And on migration, it's kind of interesting, there weren't that many kind of hard policy developments. It was more the first press conference, they were ordering the Migration Agency to work harder to withdraw work and residence permits that had been obtained on false premises. And they sort of ordered the agency to appoint you to, to, to sort of make, to say who's responsible for doing this mm. and set up processes to do it and then report on their progress next year. So there's nothing, in a way, there's nothing concrete new there. It's more about the optics, sort of we are doing something on migration. Yeah. And the, the second one on Tuesday with Jimmy Augustin, that had a lot more in it. So that launched the inquiries that have been, the government inquiries that have been promised into anonymous witnesses, which people say will really help, cr which some people think will help crack gang crime because there's a lot of gang members and also people who live in the areas where gang crime happens are frightened about testifying against the mm. people who are doing it. So the idea is if you allow anonymous witnesses in court, which, which aren't allowed in Sweden at present, mm. uh, then that will help crack gang crime. So that's one thing. Yeah. And the other thing they, they started an inquiry into is stop and search zones, which have been used in Denmark. And it's basically gives the police the power, the power to say, you know, in Ustermalm, in Stockholm or whatever area they want to choose, we can stop anyone we like and check their pockets and see if they've got drugs or guns or stuff like that. Unlikely to be Ustermalm. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and basically, yeah, and that's the, that, the, I mean, that's my point really, is some people see it as being a, a policy that targets and victimises immigrant communities because it's not going to be Ustermalm. It's going to be Rosengord and Drinkaby and areas that already feel persecuted. So, so maybe it will be counterproductive, but maybe it won't be. I mean, it, it remains to be seen if it, if it indeed happens. And that's basically it, really. There was another press conference fronted by um, the Labour minister, Johan Persson, who's also the integration minister, and that was about getting long-term unemployed into work. And he said that the government's special focus would be on women born outside Europe. So he called mm. utom europeisk kvinnor. And that's interesting, I think, because the government in Sweden has generally talked about utrikesförde, people born outside Sweden. So to now focus on non-European people, it's closer to the Danish practice where they talk about ikke-vestliga or non-Western people. So it's a sort of it's a, it's a shift in rhetoric, I think, which I thought was quite interesting. But again, that didn't have any real policy in it. It was just a sort of statement of intention. 
Great. Thanks for that roundup. And let's look at one more story before we get to the quiz. Uh, One of the main talking points in Sweden this week, and indeed around the world, has been the escape of five chimpanzees from their enclosure at Furuvik, a zoo near Javla. Becky, can you tell us what happened after their escape and what the reaction has been like to this story? Yes. So for chimpanzees were shot after escaping their enclosure in Furuvik. I think it's important to say that there was... The park is closed for Christmas or for the winter season, so there weren't any visitors in the park when they escaped. They were shot rather than tranquilised because chimpanzees are classified as a high-risk animal, which means that they are a danger to human life if kind of people get too close or there's zookeepers mm. that try to intervene. So there's a total of seven chimpanzees. Five escaped, one returned back into the enclosure unharmed, four were shot, uh, and those four subsequently died. So the story is controversial for a couple of reasons. First off, one of the chimpanzees, Santino, who was shot and killed, or euthanized, as the, as the park is saying, was a little bit of a talent. He was a painter. He uh, had sold some of his paintings for over 10,000 kroner. He was the favorite of Sweden's crown princess, Victoria, who actually owned one of her one of his paintings, as well as her sister, Princess Madeleine, also owned one of his paintings. And he had also impressed researchers by collecting stones to throw at visitors at a later date. So they were very impressed by his forward planning skills. But another reason why the, the story is controversial is uh, kind of a discussion of how the park handled the escape. So one of the other chimpanzees who was shot and killed was three-year-old Torsten, which kind of chimpanzee experts have questioned this because a three-year-old chimpanzee, they're saying, is, is not very dangerous. So mm. one of these experts who spoke to Dagens Nyheter is Franz de Waal from um, Emory University at Atlanta, Georgia, and also Utrecht University in the Netherlands, who was basically saying... A three-year-old chimpanzee is totally harmless. Like, the zoo shouldn't really have shot him. Another Mm. expert, Frank Chantereau, who runs a rescue centre for primates in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, just said, it's unbelievable, that's a baby. He was saying that a three-year-old chimpanzee born in captivity, like this one, Torsten was, would be completely unaggressive, would climb up into your arms if you approached him, basically does not pose any kind of risk. Uh, And so the park, in response to this, said that they, they were following the relevant guidelines. It wasn't one person that made this decision. It's just that's kind of the rules when you're dealing with high risk animals. And their argument was that even a three year old chimpanzee, if he ex- if he escapes into like the area around the park, there's people living there, small children could kind of pose a risk. But then it's also kind of brought up this whole question. You know, there's been a lot of escapes at zoos in Sweden. We've spoken about the owls recently. We've spoken about the cobra that escaped at Skansen. There was an antelope that escaped and actually impaled and killed a zookeeper a few weeks ago. I think it was in Gotland or a few months ago. There was a wild boar that escaped a few months ago as well. So it's kind of brought up this whole question of kind of the existence of zoos. Should they exist? Should animals be in captivity? Should there be better security? If there's a danger to animals that they might be euthanized if they escape, but also a danger to humans if they get too close, then, you know, kind of this ethical question of if zoos should exist at all. So that's kind of a debate that's been brought back to life with all of this. Yeah, it's probably something that's going to rear its head again in in 2023. So we'll be continuing to follow that. Thanks for the summary, Becky. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves 
without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I think we'll uh, move on to our end-of-year quiz now, if you're ready. Yes. (laughs) I will never be ready for one of your quizzes. We're going to have 12 questions, each related in some way to events of the past year. And for anyone interested in finding out more about any of the stories, we'll include links to all of them in the show notes. The rules are the same as in previous quizzes. You're allowed to confer but equally you're free to go it alone if you disagree. And the winner, to quote a famous Swedish philosopher, takes it all. (laughs) (laughs) The losers, alas, standing small. Okay, what can I say? Rules must be obeyed. Are you ready? (laughs) Absolutely. Oh my God, I didn't get in it. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, question one. Hurricane force winds were recorded off the coast of Blekinge in southern Sweden when a storm rolled in from Denmark at the end of January. What was the storm called? Was it Kalim Liam Malik? Malik. I'm with Malik. I have no idea. Stupid idea giving names to storms. If they say Malik, I'm sure they're right. They live down there. That makes sense. <laughs> it, was, it, it, it was Malik, yeah, and they've been writing all these news stories as well. <laughs> That's true. Uh, question two. A Swedish bishop was defrocked in February after it emerged that he'd been having an extramarital affair for many years. What diocese was he serving in at the time? Was it Visby, Skara or Hernesand? It was Visby. I'm going to go with James because he feels like he knows it. I'm going to say Hernesand because it's where my wife's family's from. <laughs> It was Visby. (laughs) Yeah, that's an incredible way of reasoning. Um, (laughs) Has someone in your wife's family had an affair with a bishop recently, Richard? Maybe there's another scandal we're just waiting to uncover. (laughs) (laughs) It was was Visby on the island of Gotland. And it was the first time a bishop had been fired by the Church of Sweden since the official separation of church and state in the year 2000. It's extraordinary. Question three. Cornelia Jacobs won Melody Festivalen with her song Hold Me Closer, which qualified her to represent Sweden at the Eurovision Song Contest. How many people watched the Melody Festivalen final according to official statistics? Was it 2.3 million, 3.3 million or 4.3 million? I'm just going to assume it's the highest number because Swedes love mellow. They do. I'm just going to go for 4.4. But I I also think you might have been sneaky and put that in because you think I'm going to do that. Something makes me think 2.3 million. I think I might have written it. So I'm going to go for that. I have a vague memory of writing 2.3. Big TV events don't attract the same kind of audiences they used to with streaming and the way people watch TV now. So I'd I'd go for the 3.3. Okay, I'm going to assume that Paul is double bluffing and it was 3.3. I'm succumbing to peer pressure. Uh, it was 3.3. Ah! Ooh! Yeah. Oh, no. Blind luck. Peer 
pressure is a force for good. It made me change my mind. More than one million people voted on the night of the final, which was the 12th of March. And viewers contributed almost 5.5 million kroner to the Rodio Yelpen charity, which was the highest figure since 2003, with the proceeds going to civilian aid in Ukraine after Russia's full-scale invasion less than three weeks earlier. Question four. Niamco Sabuni resigned as Liberal Party leader in April after the party slumped to just 2% in opinion polls and she was replaced by Yuan Pashon. Sabuni had been around for a long time in Swedish politics and was a minister in the centre-right alliance governments that ruled Sweden from 2006 to 2014. What was her role in the first Friedrich Reinfeldt government from 2006 to 2010? Was she Minister for Integration and Gender Equality? Minister for Migration and Asylum Policy, Minister for International Development Cooperation. She was um, Integration Minister. Yeah, the first one. Yeah. I wasn't even in Sweden at this point, so I'm just going to go with whatever everyone else says. Well, I know that Tobias Bilstrom was immigration. Yes, very good. So you've got the right. You've got the right answer. Who was the Who was the Minister for International Development Cooperation? Does anybody remember? Oh God, no. it was a woman. Hil- was it Anna Schimberg Batra? No, she had... No, no it, it was... Gun- a, I, I it was, was going to say Hill- Gunnila Carlsson. Exactly. Exactly. Very good. Fun fact, my daughter thinks that the word gorilla is Gunilla. <laughs> <laughs> so she'll say, Cola mama in Gunilla. She's a gorilla. <laughs> so now I can't take the name Gunilla seriously. <laughs> Uh, Question five. In May, before it had formally decided to apply for a NATO membership, Sweden signed a security deal with the UK and the then British Prime Minister. Does anybody remember who the British Prime Minister was all all those months ago? (laughs) It was Boris Johnson back then. What was this like five Prime Ministers ago? I don't know. Yeah, it was about five Prime Ministers. (laughs) (laughs) So Boris Johnson took a little trip in the Harpsunds Ekan rowing boat with Sweden's then Prime Minister Magdalene Andersson. Two names there from the misty past. In which Swedish county is the Harpsund Manor House located? Are we getting options or should we just go for it? Do you want to just go for it? Yeah. Uh, it's just, up, just go for it? up in the, uh, somewhere up there. You know, it's right in the so, far north. It's in Sermland. <laughs> it's down there. Yeah, somewhere. you know, that's like, that's like, super, that's like basically the Arctic Circle. <laughs> <laughs> south of Stockholm. Are you going to go with, just are you going to go with James there? I'm pretty sure it's in, I mean, it, it makes sense. It has to be close to Stockholm, otherwise they'd never go there. I'm going to go with whatever James God, says. God, you sound so bitter, provincial. Oh, I just like, realised that Södermanland is Sermland. I had no yeah. idea. Yeah, Södermanland yeah, is Sermland. I've been, I've been thinking there were two completely different places for 10 years. But that's that's where I would go for. Mm. It's really weird. Södermanland Sir, and Sermland are the same place, but Vestmanland and Värmland are completely different places. It's very, <laughs> it, it's very inconsistent. Well, nice little fact there. I'm glad you knew the answer because I forgot to note down the three options. <laughs> the Harpsund Manor House has served as a country retreat for Swedish prime ministers since 1953 and it is located 120 kilometres west of Stockholm in Sörmland. I also did a very entertaining article, a picture article of different heads of state in the Harpsund's Erkan boat with different Swedish heads of state, which you should look at if you want a nice little throwback to, what is it, May? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, we'll article. pop that in the notes. I mean, Boris loved it, but it was it was Boris in Boris totally Boris Johnson's adamant. It was perfect. Oh, I remember he he refused to wear a life vest. So there's just this picture of like former professional swimmer Magdalena Anderson wearing a life vest, kind of looking back at the camera with the smile on her face, and then Boris with his floppy hair and no life vest, insisting on rowing. It's just like, yeah, this is this is the aura of both of these people encapsulated <laughs> in one photo. Question six. Sweden's central bank, the Riksbank, raised interest rates by 50 points to 0.75% in June. It was the biggest one-day hike in 22 years as Sweden, like elsewhere, tried to keep inflation under control. The Riksbank is the world's oldest central bank. When was it founded? Was it 1568, 1668 or 1768? No idea. I quite like the number 1668, so I'm going to go for that. I have absolutely no idea. That's super interesting. I'll go 1568. Let's say it's really old. I'll go 1758 just for variation's sake. Becky's numerology gets her the win on that one. Well done. A few years earlier, a few years before... 1668, I mean, literally two or three years before, Sweden had become the first country in Europe to issue banknotes, a decision partly taken because Sweden had the heaviest copper coins in the world at the time, weighing in at up to 20 kilos. (laughs) Okay, question seven. Swedish-American pole vaulter Armand Duplantis set a new world record in July when he cleared the bar at 6.21 metres at the World Athletics Championships in Oregon. He's often referred to by his nickname. What is his nickname? Is it Army, Mondo or Duple? Mondo. I'm not sure it's Mondo. Uh, Mondo is the right answer. And uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. The one time Uh, I will ever get a sports question right. (laughs) (laughs) Question eight. A report by the research company Acta Publica released towards the end of August showed that 289 candidates for Swedish county, municipal and parliamentary elections had at some point expressed racist or neo-Nazi views. Which party did the majority of these candidates come from? (laughs) Milieu Partiet. Yeah, I'm sure it was. That's not the real question. I mean, obviously, the far right Sweden Democrats. What, what are you were insinuating here? Massively are you, are overrepresented. Are you insinuating that the far right uh, are full of Nazis? Because I don't know. Well, if... 214 of their. I'm insinuating nothing. This is based on fact. 214 of their candidates were on this list. But only one party didn't have anyone on the list. Was it the Green Party, the Centre Party, or the Left Party? I think it was the Greens, wasn't it? I have no recollection. I'm just going to say the centre party. I'm going to say the Greens. It was the Greens. The left party, I believe, had five on the list and the centre party had four. And the mm. Liberals also had four. So those those four parties had the, the fewest Blimey. people with sort of suspected Nazi links. Question nine. September was election month and we've talked about the election on the podcast and written about it so much on the site that it was hard to decide on a question because you're all very knowledgeable. And I remember on one episode we discussed the municipal results in the three biggest cities but we've never talked about the fourth biggest city, which is... That's not the question, by the way. Just uh, do you know, <laughs> not do you know sure, what not the fourth sure biggest... It's Uppsala, as, as Richard said, yeah. The question is, uh, which three parties formed a minority coalition to govern Uppsala from 2022 to 2026? Was it the Social Democrats, Left Party and Green Party, the Moderate Party and Sweden Democrats and Liberal Party, or the Moderate Party, Christian Democrats and Liberals? I think. It's a big liberal stronghold, I think. 
And the Christian Democrat stronghold as well. So I reckon the latter. Mm. That makes sense. I'm going to just go with whatever Richard says. I have no, because <laughs> I have no absolutely idea. no idea. But let's go with what Richard says. Uh, it's the wrong answer. Ah! Richard, you sounded so sure. <laughs> I know, sorry. <laughs> It was the Social Democrats, the Left Party and the Green Party. After a few weeks of negotiations, they formed a minority government in October that leans on the support of a local party called Utvecklingspartiet Demokraterna. Oh, so the Social Democrats have literally that. every city and every big city in Sweden now. They've got, yeah. they've got the, the big wow. four. Mm. Interesting. Uppsala is Sweden's fourth most populous municipality and is home to 241,000 people. Question 10. In October, the new Swedish political landscape took shape and Ulf Kristersson officially became Prime Minister. But before that came the small matter of the Nobel Prize Awards and there was excellent news for the Swedish geneticist Svante Pabu, who won the Medicine Prize for his work sequencing the genome of Neanderthal man. Incredibly, this was his family's second Nobel Prize after his father also won the Nobel Prize for Medicine in 1982. What was his name? Was it Sune Bergström, Josef Hedberg or Johan Sederqvist? Sune Bergström. Mm, yeah. Bergström. Yeah, is the right answer. Sune Bergström was one of three recipients that year who won the Medicine Prize for their discoveries concerning prostaglandins and related biologically active substances. Question 11. In November, Sweden's new Justice Minister Gunnar Strömer said that officials were preparing a new bill to finally scrap the country's widely ridiculed ban on spontaneous dancing in bars and restaurants without a permit. My question to you is this. Since when has Sweden required a licence to dance? Uh, 1936, 46 or 56? Well, let's say 56. I have no idea. Yeah, I feel like it's 56. It feels like it should be quite a lot. I, I, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's earlier than that as well because it, it ties in with the, the quite strict rules that Sweden tends to have on um, alcohol and any kind of fun. But uh, I, let's say 56. It is the right answer. Yeah, a sort of moral panic engulfed Sweden in the 1930s and 1940s with everyone from clerics to doctors warning of how outdoor dance culture was destroying the character of the country's youth. And this eventually led to a ban on dance events that hadn't received an official seal of approval. But yet yeah, it, it took a while to, um, to put the law in place. On the one hand, it's kind of ridiculous. On the other hand, you can also see how the quite well, quite a lot of countries have rules about, you know, you need a license to be a nightclub, for example, and it's a different license to being a bar. So it's not that unusual. I know everyone gets up in arms about it, but how weird is it really? It's about deciding what kind of establishments you mm. want in a particular area, and it's normal. It's kind of normal planning law, to my ears, but. Um, I know it sounds ridiculous when you call it a, a ban on spontaneous dancing. I was doing, I was researching this um, last night, and some of the some of the ways dancing was described in the 1940s made it sound a lot like the way drugs are described in Sweden now. It's like pe- people rock up at these outdoor dance events, and they might try it once, and you know they don't really like it, but they get a taste for it, and they come back, and suddenly they're hooked. Oh, for God's sake! Yeah, it really was described like that. It's astonishing. I mean, Europe was, in general, quite morally censorious in the 1950s yeah. and, and, and before. And, you know, it's, obviously things have got a lot more liberal since then. But I sort of feel that Sweden was particularly censorious when it came to anything that was fun. Obviously, dancing, alcohol, all the things that make life worth living. Says the man who was just advocating for a ban on spontaneous dancing. <laughs> yep. 
Question 12. Question 12. Every year, the Swedish Retail Institute unveils its pick for Sweden's Christmas gift of the year. And one of the criteria is that it must represent the times in which we live. And with Swedes across the country dressing up warm to lower their energy bills, the gift of the year this year is a hand-knitted item of clothing. But what was the Christmas gift of the year in 2009? Was it a, a nail file? Was it a bed of nails? Or was it an electric bicycle? I have a vague recollection that it was a bed of nails. I think yeah, I remember Yeah, I this. also think it was a bed of nails. Very I think it was, weird. like, branded as, like, a massage thing that you could, like, use to relax or something. And speak, Matta. Exactly. I mean, I've never understood what the thing was, really. But I, I'm very strange. And I'm pretty sure that there were very few people who bought these things. Yeah. Um, but go on, are we right? It is the right answer. And possibly feeling the stress after the 2008 financial crisis, Swedes flocked to buy yoga-inspired nail mats in 2009. The company that made the popular mats went from a turnover of almost 100 million kroner to bankruptcy in the space of two years. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, people did buy them in 2009, but oh. then they just completely stopped. <laughs> well, I guess you don't... It's not like you have a collection. You, you've got one and that's probably going to do you for life. And there's probably a limited number of people who want to buy them in general. Who, who won the quiz? I, thought I think you I got one score. question wrong. I think Becky... Well, you know, guys, it's the taking part that counts, really, isn't it? So. <laughs> yeah, so James and, and Richard, you now have to sing The Winner Takes It All to Becky. <laughs> I don't think our listeners want uh, to I've got to call cool up the lyrics. Can I respectfully decline? Can I? The winner takes it all. <laughs> that was good. Uh, I don't want to talk about things we've gone through. That's all for today. Happy Christmas to all our listeners. Uh, we really appreciate you tuning in each week. Our panellists this week were James Savage, Becky Waterton and Richard Orange. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. I'm Paul O'Mahony and we'll be back again next Saturday with a preview of what's in store in 2023. Until then, take care. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, 
please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.